Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. Welcome to Marcast, the Marketing Mag podcast series. I'm Ben Ice, editor at Marketing, and I'm proud to bring you part two of Dave's chat with Trent Innes, managing director of Zero in Australia and Asia. Trent feels like marketing has gotten a little bland. So in this episode, they'll flesh out how creativity, story, and humanity can help us build connections with individuals. Let's not not talk about zero, but let's talk about marketing a little more universally. And and I think we've got a really interesting insight into what happens at work. But just looking a bit more broadly, the world of marketing, we've got a lot of people listening who are working in different organisations. When we say we're talking about marketing, what sort of stands out for you? What are the key elements to it? What are we talking about? At the risk of saying, I actually think marketing in some ways has got a little bit a little bit bland. I think uh, it's yeah. really hard to stand out. And you know, with, with, depending on what what mechanism of marketing you'll get, whether it be above the line campaigns or it's you know online digital campaigns, whatever it might be. And I, mean, I think you know, to be successful, all those things need to be integrated together. But it's really, it's quite hard to actually stand out, I think, these days. So one of the things I'm, you know, I'm really conscious of is how do you actually how do you create your own stories and how do you actually leverage those back onto your on, onto your customers? In this day and age, you need to really be creating your, your, your own content and stories and things that are interesting. And uh, you know, one of the brands that I think that's done this really well, and I use as an example, um, in, in the office, I know it's a brand that you love, is Rafa. So I think Rafa has done that exceptionally yeah. well. I mean, they sell premium brand products. I've spent way too much money there. <laughs> you and me both. But I actually love their stories. And I love the fact that the experience is actually about, it's all about, it's about cycling, the experience of cycling. And at the end of the day, they actually sell some clothes as well. Yeah. And I think that's, an, you know, if you look at the companies that are really successful today, they, they tend to create an experience and then sell a product off the back of that. And I think that's a really unique way to stand out, but it's got to be very genuine as well. You have to have a genuine love and passion. But I think, so I think marketing overall, we've been, as consumers, we've been over-marketed too. And so I fear that we've turned off. You know, as an example, we don't, you know, we, we haven't used TV ads ever in Australia because, you know, I just don't think we'd actually get the cut through that we would want. And it's very hard to tell your story in a 30-second advert. It feels to me that clearly Zero are taking a similar line to that that RAF, for example. You're not out there talking about accounting software. You're out there talking about the joys, beautiful aspects, the human element of running small exactly business. Right. And then it just happens that you sell well, and that, and that, and accounting services. And a digital service as well. So if you went and sold a digital accounting service, that'd be really hard to make that interesting. Yeah. But when you, when you actually combine the human with the digital and then talk about the experiences they have off the back of that and what, and what they create and what they service, then that's interesting. People want to read about that because it becomes aspirational. Then you become quite aspirational and your brand can, can go along that journey and become obviously an aspirational brand as well. But it's, um, it does take quite some time to actually work out what you want to talk about, you know, what, what you aren't going to talk about and what, and what you stand for. The number of companies taking this storytelling approach, there's more of them than there might have been 10 years ago, but there's a lot of companies that aren't still. There's, there's a lot of marketing departments, advertising teams out there that are still stuck in the old ways. Does marketing need a bit of a, a shake-up, do you think? Is it a, has it become a little bit lazy and a little bit backward-looking? I think it is a bit backwards-looking, I think, you know, and uh, so what do, you, what do your lead indicators look like? And I, I do use a storyteller. She's always reminding me, and she'll, she'll love that I've referenced this quote on here because she's always beating me up about it, and in, in a nice way, of course, but she's always saying, more show, less tell, more show, less tell. And, 
you know, whenever I'm putting a presentation together, she's all about simplifying it right down. And, you know, we, we do some pretty large scale events around, you know, uh, as well during the year. And, uh, you know, we, we have one uh, in September every year, which we call ZeroCon, which we had about over three and a half thousand accounts and bookkeepers come to this last year. And, you know, she really honed in on me as how do you tell a story to each person in the room? Not at the three and a half thousand, they, but you have to get this story really granular and down to the individual. And I think that's and I kind of think about that from a marketing perspective as well. And if you put an image up with, you know, um, 100,000 small businesses in it or so, no, nobody really cares. But if you put one image up and people can relate to that, and they look at that and they go, yeah, that's, I can see that. I, I can get to that. I can reach to be that. Then they can, can aspire to it. But um, if you make it too far out of their reach, they, they, can't, they just can't see their way there. And then you just get lost in the noise. A little earlier this year, we had a, a, an interview with Ben Hill at, at Bega. And as we were wrapping up, we talked about what perhaps the biggest change in marketing in, in, in the last five or 10 years of his career. And he talked about that concept of the replacement of feature benefit decisions with why decisions. Agree. And it feels very much like you share that view, yeah. Absolutely. And even more about the how, how, how do you go about it? And, you know, one of the things that we are very conscious of is what we call an inside-out approach. So all of our values and purposes, you know, should come out from the organisation as well towards our customers. And they should be able to see inside our business. So be very authentic, very transparent uh, in, in, in the way that you represent yourself in market. What else is wrong with marketing or the ba- what the worst elements of marketing today? Well, I think, I think it depends a lot on what industry you're in or what product you might be selling. So, you know, this is quite generic device. And I think you've touched on the things that I believe in. I think, you know, thinking about a fully integrated approach across, you know, content, comms, marketing, and the entire end-to-end business is really important. So it's not, it's not just up to a dedicated marketing department. I think at the end of the day, customers don't care that you've got a marketing department, a sales department, a customer service department. They just see themselves as a customer. Yeah. And so the things that are actually, you know, important and go across the entire organisation are your people, your customers, probably the way you're viewed in the community. Yeah. And so I think you've got to have a fully, you know, integrated approach that people are behind and uh, don't just leave it up to the marketing department. I think, you know, they can, they can definitely help you execute, but the idea should come from everywhere across the organisation. There's been a little bit in the marketing media recently about the concept of a, the role of a chief growth officer. I think one of the beverage firms has done it. One of the FMCG businesses replaced the idea of a chief marketing officer or a sales director and merged them into this concept of a chief growth officer. I guess the idea is that marketing and sales, marketing and go-to-market should be more closely aligned. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Is it horses for courses? It depends a little. I think it does depend on the organisation. So uh, globally, we have our chief customer marketing and people. So we have people marketing and customer together. So, and that's- Is there a, can you say that like a- No, you can't. Chief people, customer (laughs) and marketing officer. Depends on which order you say it in. But uh, (laughs) but So we actually have three of those together. They're actually quite all interrelated to each other as well, because one's about obviously you know, building brand and, and marketing. It's about our people. And then obviously how that actually translates down to our customers as well. So we actually have the three of those together. We don't call it a customer growth officer, but maybe that's something we should look at. <laughs> that's a shorter acronym anyway. Much, much shorter. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of talk in marketing press about trust. What does trust mean to you and how do you live it and deliver it in an authentic manner? So trust to me is kind of one of those tickets to play or the foundational, one of those foundational aspects of your business. You know, we talked about our, uh, the values of zero a little bit earlier on. And uh, I think if you have to explicitly call out 
trust, integrity, or honesty, you're probably struggling, especially in an industry like ours that it does financial data. I mean, the trust to me is kind of like a, it's a given. And how do you build trust? So building trust is a bit like building culture. If you have to talk about it, it's gone. So it's built up over a whole lot of moments, those moments of truth that we touched on before. Yeah. Now, and it's something that it actually, you you can't just turn up tomorrow and say, trust us more. You've actually just got to be, every of those little things you do over time will line up to that. Yeah. But what you need to be really careful of is that you can, it takes a long time to build it, but you can actually lose it really, really quickly. And so um, I would be disappointed if we started talking about trust, integrity, or honesty, because they just, I think they're givens. There's a lot of talk about marketing automation, and I know you're not yeah. you're not a marketer, and I do marketing as well. Is <laughs> <laughs> um, marketing automation a big part of the zero marketing journey? Is it something that you're looking at? Absolutely, because it scales, and so you need to be thinking about how you use your digital assets. It's one of the only th- ways you can actually scale your organisation, and uh, you know, one of the things I get asked a lot about, you know, is you know, what, what do you worry about, and one of the things I really worry about is that, you know, it was only, you know, it was only 10 years ago that we had a handful of customers in Australia. I think in 2009, we might've had, I think we had two customers in Australia or something like that. It was 2007, so we had two customers. And now you look at the scale of the business now, and I can only imagine when those customers came on our platform right back then, we would have loved them more than anything itself because they trusted us. They said, you know, we, your product may not be fully baked yet. There's a whole lot of other products in the market, but we see where you're taking this. And when you get to the sort of scale that we're at now is how do you make that next customer feel as important as the one that came on the platform 10 years ago? How do you give them that personalized experience that they actually feel that, you know, they've got a connection with you? The biggest way to be able to do that is through marketing automation, but in an authentic, it's got to be in a very authentic way. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have a great technology stack around that, but technology is only a piece of it. It's how you actually use the technology that's, that's most that's most important and how do you actually have human interaction in there as well when and if you need it. Yeah, it's something we are very focused on as we grow, especially in something like our business that's a subscription-based service. Yep. So it's not that it's easy, but you, I think sometimes people win a customer and they go, you know what? We've won you now. You're on our platform. If you go, if they're paying you every month, you have to win them every month. You can't just win them that once. You've got to win them every month. And then you not only have to win them, you have to love them and you have to genuinely love them. Because if you actually want to grow with them over time, you have to have genuine, genuine love with them as well. So I'm a big believer. We talk a lot, I talk a lot about win, love, grow. And that's the journey we're going journey, with yeah. them over time, especially in a subscription-based service. We've seen way too many subscription-based companies over time when they suddenly realized how important the customer was, it was almost too late and yeah. they had to almost go back and try and win them again, yeah. predominantly because they took them for granted potentially and never actually loved them on the way through the journey or just had a building relationship with them, didn't add incremental value. I could think of off the top of my head so many yeah. technology providers that I've used and basically they've just, yeah, all you, all utility, heard since. And utility companies yeah. are the same. You know, they uh, once you're on your platform, they kind of take you for granted a little bit. I mean, I think that's changing. Yeah, I think we're, we're changing and a lot of people are saying the right words. Whether they truly believe it is, you know, up for debate. But I think, yeah, from day one, it's something I'm really, really focused on is making sure that we actually do use the word love inside the office when we think about our customers. Yeah. So And so the automation platforms technology stack is crucial because it's the enabler, but on its own, it's it's meaningless without, the again, the purpose. And correct. The, correct. And the it's, um, it's a tool, isn't it, at the end of the day? It's a, it's a tool that allows you to do it, but, you know, they're very sophisticated tools these days as well in the terms of the ability to be able to, to be able to scale and really show that, you know, show that level of love to all, all your customer base.
Now, you haven't been at zero forever. You've had a, a long career in business and management. I thought you were going to say a chicken past. <laughs> it's not <laughs> we true. Can, we it's can, not true. We can talk about that in a different episode. <laughs> How's that long-term career formed your views of business and marketing? So look, I've always been pretty much involved in technology and accounting and various sort of management roles. So you know, I, was at, I was at a large technology company before this, and you know, so going from somewhere quite large to somewhere quite small, you know, to give you an idea when we first started. When I first started at zero, you know, we, we I don't think we even had any HR people at that point in time. So it's been, you know, an interesting, interesting sort of journey. And I think in all of those scenarios, you take the good out of them and you leave behind the bad. Yep. It's just been able to recognise what is good and what is bad. And you know, the company I was at previously, this I took a lot of amazing experiences out of that in terms of how do you scale a business, how do you make your people leaders be the best they can possibly be, because your people leaders connect your strategy to your execution. So how how do you actually leverage that? So I think we learned a lot of that, but also there's some equally some things you know that I wanted to leave behind as well, which is uh, how do you keep politics out of your organisation? How do you stay yep. truly customer focused? You know, I think that can get lost in big corporations sometimes. So as you scale, you want to make sure you sort of you keep that for as long as you possibly can. But I think each day sort of shapes you, doesn't it? I think as a, as a leader, I think having that growth mindset and making sure you have a growth mindset. And I'm always really conscious, even myself, when I'm getting into a scenario, you know, am I being a, am I being a victim or a player in this scenario? A victim is a, you know, a defeatist like mindset. Closed and mindset, yeah. yeah. you don't want a closed mindset. So you take a deep breath and you uh, go back in it and think about how do I actually come out of here as a player? You've tried to leave the, the politics behind. Is there some specific advice or specific behaviours or patterns mm-hmm. that you would encourage people to avoid to do that so they don't have to go the long way, the long Yeah, so I think um, yeah, one of the things I've, I've thought about a lot is, you know, if you think about a business, it's, it's the what and the how leads to your proven capability. And what we do is, you know, we all, we all do different things inside an organisation, you know, regardless of what what our role is, we do different things that ultimately lead to the overall success or trajectory of that of that company. But what I've worked out is there's no one any more important than anyone else. We just do different things. So how yeah. you go about it should be the same. So politics actually creep into an organisation in the how, not the what. So if you can keep the how heading in the right direction, which means about having the right values, the right behaviours, and everybody exhibits that, then that scales. And that actually, all that leads to culture. So culture is kind of an output of those things. And that helps keep politics out of the organisation because you keep the organisation flat on the how. What about your go-to strategy set? If you were walking into a new growth organisation tomorrow and you had to focus on three things on day one, what are you focusing on? So that's a great thing. So the first thing I would do is actually, if I had a desk, I'd give it up and I'd actually go and sit in the kitchen area or wherever the most centralized place is that I could be and I'd listen. So the first thing I would do is actually just listen because you you pick up more about the culture just by doing that. You know, even you you always pick up the culture of an organization when you're sitting in their reception, even don't you? Yeah. I think ultimately though, the thing I'd be drilling on straight away is trying to get an idea of, you want to get a pulse on the culture um, of of the organization and, you know, what's what's going well and, and what's not going well. You know, can the people clearly articulate, understand what their what the purpose is? Do they have clearly articulated values? And then, most important thing is, are they actually living against those? Because otherwise, they're just you know words on paper. Are you still passionate about girls and education and STEM? And so we always have been. So we're running graduate programs these days, and uh, you know, getting at twenty sixteen, I took over as MD, and uh, at that stage, my leadership team was I think it was seventy percent female, thirty percent male at that stage. That's just one measure of diversity. Yeah. But you know, if we if we look at gender diversity specifically, you know, I thought we were doing a pretty good job. We looked around sales and marketing; they seemed to be not too bad. And the rest of the business all looked okay. And uh, then I got into product and product was nowhere near where it needed to be. 
at that stage. And I went and saw, uh, I went with a couple of our um, really passionate female developers to see a uh, documentary called Debugging the Gender Gap. And if you haven't seen that, that really highlights to me, you know, I, I must be a bit slow on the uptake, but I think what it really highlighted to me was that diversity, especially gender diversity, is actually, I mean, it's, it's a great thing to do and you should be doing it anyhow, but it's actually about your customers. So yeah. it's our customer base is horrendously diverse. So how can we build software and provide a service to a diverse customer base if we don't have diversity inside our organization, especially in our product teams? Yeah. So the feedback I got at that stage was, um, you know, we'd love to fix it, but there's no one to hire. And so if you ever want to get me revved up, give me a challenge that, I, that um, people say we can't do. And so off the back of that, uh, we had a look at the entire business and looked at, you know, the way we're advertising, the type of roles we're providing, we're doing, you know, were they flexible enough? You know, how do we actually become an employer of choice for, for everyone so we could become a really inclusive environment? And, you know, since then, we've seen a dramatic increase in diversity and plus also very much in our, um, in our graduate programs as, as well. In addition to that, we're in a lot of other things as well. So we're actually uh, teaching kids to code at schools. Yeah. I think one of the things, um, you know, I'm sort of most passionate about is unfortunately we haven't, there's not enough global tech companies founded from this part of the world where we build things and export it. So, you know, we've got customers in 180 countries around the world now, and it's built from, you know, Australia and New Zealand. So how do we create more of those type of companies? And the only way we're going to do that is actually encourage everyone to see that as an opportunity as they're coming through the education system. And so I think, you know, as a company, we have a massive responsibility to show what's possible. So thinking about, you know, Australia, New Zealand and our ability to scale global tech solutions. I know that you you have a view that we don't necessarily have the best tax structure to support early stage startups and equity and options for the people working in those organisations. Are we getting better or is there still a lot of work to be done? I think there's a massive opportunity for improvement here. And I actually look at you know other countries around the world. New Zealand are doing this incrementally better than, than we are. So, you know, they have a really um, a really thriving ecosystem around the startup community, uh, and they've actually got very favourable tax around the outside of that as well, which really encourages the sort of next generation companies coming through. So, you know, I think, uh, and that's not the only area we could learn a lot of New Zealand at the moment, but I think there's a lot of areas we could actually learn off the back of that and really uh, you know, create an environment that's much more uh, conducive to uh, much more conducive to the startup scene. You've talked about um, your role and taking on the role as MD of Asia recently. It strikes me that you've got you've obviously got market differences in terms of culture, but the other thing that strikes me is you've also got a pretty significant market difference just in terms of the maturity of the organisation and the, the installed customer base in Australia. We've talked about it. there's still a lot you can do, but you are the dominant player in your category in Australia, and it, you've got five, six, seven, eight, nine years of strong growth behind you. In Asia, it's more of a, you're earlier in the journey. What are some of the differences that that means in the way you're approaching either business or marketing or advertising or communications in some of those Asian markets versus Australia? So that's very true. It's much, much earlier days up in, up in Asia for us. And so at the moment, we're still you know, really starting to establish our brand. And so a lot of the messaging that we're going out with at the moment is very much, you know, basic messaging we we're probably doing here five, six years ago. So, you know, the ability to access your information or financial data anywhere, at any time, on any device, the use of mobile technology across Asia is is massive. So how do, yeah. we, uh, how do we leverage off the back of that? But it's really about building brand at the moment up there more than anything else, you know, making sure we've got the right people on the ground that can actually execute our playbook up there at the moment as well and, you know, and, and you know, strongly building channels as well to, to market. So much earlier days, but the progress today has been really pleasing, really happy with what's going on in Asia. 
the content of your communication? Are you going to originate that here? And do you see an opportunity to use a lot of similar campaigns over time, or are you really going to have to be creating unique content for those markets? I think the answer is both. I think yep. it's um, we will re- reuse where it makes sense, but flavour it for the local market. There are a lot of similarities. So the challenges that a small business faces, whether it be in Asia or Australia, are fundamentally the same. You know, they're struggling to keep up with compliance. They're, you know, taking time to get paid. They've got to get invoices out the door. They've got to, you know, collect their expenses. They've got to, you know, use technology better. All, all those things are fundamentally the same in both regions. But the actual way that you message that to them is different. So you need to be able to speak their language. So to speak, I'm not talking about, you know, yeah. you know real language, but it's the language yeah. of business. Yeah. So the way they conduct business is different. So the way they, they conduct business is, is definitely different, but the actual underlying problems are the same. So mm. we can reuse a lot of the, the thought leadership stuff. It's just that yeah. last bit of polishing and the way you present that yeah. that is different. And are there are particular countries in Asia that you'll focus on first. Yeah, absolutely. So so we're already in uh, so we're in Singapore and Hong Kong at the moment. We actually have customers in pretty much every country uh, up there. But it's just in terms of physical presence on the ground, uh, we're, we're in Singapore and Hong Kong. The other sort of dual audience thing that struck me was the this your small business owners who are the ultimate customer, but then the importance of your bookkeepers and accountants mm-hmm. as part of your overall strategy solution. Can you just tell us a little bit about sure. what that means and how you get those, how you balance those two elements? So accountants and bookkeepers are a really important customer of ours. So they're a, they're a, a type of customer. So obviously you've got our small business customers, but accountants and bookkeepers, you know, we have a really strong relationship with and, you know, they play in a really, sorry, super important role. So in some ways we treat them separately and other ways we actually treat them together. And so, you know, they have, they have different, um, different reasons for existence. So, you know, accountants and bookkeepers are there to provide services just to small business. And, you know, but the way we, the way we would market them or target them is much more personalized. So we, we tend to look after them from an account management perspective because that yep. scales out to, to, to small business. Yeah. And, and we're actively engaged with them, not just building tools for them to help their small businesses, but actually we build tools as well to help them run their, their businesses and practices better themselves as well. So it's kind of very much like that two-sided marketplace con- concept. But yeah, we actually, uh, we work with both parties. We see them both equally as customers, but just different types of customers. So the final thing we like to do is look into the future. Uh, my crystal ball is still on the blink. I dropped it actually last podcast. And so I've brought the time capsule along today. So we're going to write down a few things on these cards and we're going to put them in this cylinder and we're going to open it five years from now. And it's going to tell us how the world of marketing looks different in 2024. 2024, okay, so not, not far away. Five years from now. Five years from now. So I think you'll see a lot of the current trends sort to play out. I know we touched on all these things as we've been going through the podcast, but I think concentrating on the 1% is super important. How do you actually stand out from the pack? What is going to differentiate you from the 99% of everything else that you do or what everybody else does? And I think yeah. you know, that's about exceeding expectations, but exceeding expectations in the way that you take yourself to market. I think that will be something we'll have to really focus on because there's so much noise out there at the moment. How do you actually stand out? Companies aren't going to continue just pouring money after money after money into this activity that is just not differentiating and not cutting through. Well, we're actually, in a lot of ways, we're actually um, outbidding ourselves. I think the other 
The other one as well that I'd love to write in 2024 would be, um, what would happen if I went back to the office tomorrow and said, I'm halving your marketing budget? And I have threatened to do that a few times and uh, I get looks of despair. And whether <laughs> whether I'm serious or not, it's not actually the point. It's more about, you know, have we just become reliant on the addiction more than anything else? So is there a way of actually, could we be more creative with less? Are we spending money just to be safe and correct? You know, this is more an industry comment than a zero comment. But it kind of feels like we spend the vast majority of our money chasing the last little piece of the pie. Whereas, if you took a longer term view, could you actually pull back from that a little bit and do it a bit more, uh, probably a little bit more genuine and a little bit scrappier at the same time? I think, I think it's really important as you grow not to lose that scrappiness. And so, the future for marketing. Definitely, as you see, it isn't isn't around just polish and sophistication. It's not slick and tied down. It's a little bit instinctive and a little bit rough at times. And so you might have the slick bit across the top, but I think as you're actually working through it, how do you actually have scrappy pillars almost underneath? And that's about empowering people to be that. So, you know, are your people empowered to actually uh, make comments on social media? Yeah. As an example, is there two people that are allowed to do that, or can anybody do that? I think the last one I put in the capsule. I still don't think we've nailed storytelling through content yet either as well. I think it's something, you know, we've been experimenting with a lot, but we get much more engagement with that than we do traditional market advertising. But you've got to have something interesting to say. And so that might mean creating your own stories, which is what storytelling is all about. And as long as it represents your customers and it's genuine and authentic, it gives you something unique to talk about. Because if you're talking about something that's actually happening, um, either whether it be inside your organisation or inside your customer base, it's very unique. Into the same capsule we're sliding, your prediction of what zero looks like five years from now. So unfortunately, I can't give you a prediction in five years because that would be a, that would be a little bit market sensitive. But uh, <laughs> So I've got to be really careful about how I word that given we're publicly listed. But you know, what I can talk about is the general market. Yeah. So if you think about the digitization of business in five years, we will all be digitally connected. We're seeing all those trends playing out now. So there's, there's fantastic growth for the entire, for the entire market. Um, and I think the way we use technology will even adopt even further than we are today. And we'll see, we'll be, we'll be digitally connected to our banks, we'll be digitally connected to government, we're we'll digitally connected to each other. And that'll remove a whole lot of friction out of the economy that exists right now. Between, uh, between all of our businesses. And how does Trent Innes' life look different five years from now? Well, hopefully I'll be back on the bike and uh, spending a bit more time riding and a little bit more time, uh, a little bit more time relaxing. Actually, it's, probably, it's probably not true, actually. This, I kind of wish, wish I was 20 years younger because I think <laughs> there's, it seems to, and maybe this happens every time, but it seems to be the most exciting time right now, especially from a technology perspective. It's can't see myself retiring anytime soon uh, because apart from growing children, it's, uh, I think on top of that, it's also just so much, there's so much exciting stuff to do out there at the moment. We've got a true sort of global economy at the moment as well. So it's, I think it's super exciting. So I'll, I'll be doing something very exciting, hopefully still at zero. Trent Innes, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure, DJ. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Trent Innes for giving up his time to appear on MarCast. Next episode's coming soon, and you can check out marketingmag.com.au to keep up to date in the meantime. If you enjoyed the listen, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, Download the Hayes Report, DNA of a Marketing Director, 
at hayes.com.au.